here. I'm happy to report that our event this past weekend with Thinking Poker was a huge success. Uh, we want to thank Thinking Poker, Poker on Air, and all of our participants for making this weekend happen. Uh, for those of you who missed the live stream, you can check out all four sessions with commentary on twitch.tv slash poker on air. And by next week's episode, all of those videos will be on YouTube in high definition. During the stream, we had quite a few people reach out about how to get in on this unique coaching opportunity, and there's good news. One, there will be more of these events in the future, uh, perhaps the quite near future, but also Zach and I do offer one-on-one leak finders. In these leak finders, we'll meet you at a casino or a card room, play at the same table where we take notes on your play, and meet before and afterwards for preparation, reflection, and coaching. Uh, Zach and I are generally available in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic regions for these league finders, but we'll also be traveling across the country for the next couple of months, uh, so we might be in a region near you soon. To schedule league finder, learn more about this format, or inquire about future locations, head to justhandspoker.com slash leaguefinder. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Zach. Hello, Jack. How are you doing on this lovely day? Doing great, just standing here with you. Uh, it's been a common theme for us lately. We've both been in the New York City area, or at least part-time here. Uh, so we've had a, more of an opportunity than usual to record together, uh, which we're going to do a couple times today. Uh, but right now, we are going to record a listener hand, and not just any listener hand, but a listener who took the initiative to send us an audio recording of the hand history. Uh, so this is Alex from San Francisco. Uh, thank you so much, Alex, for writing in, or not writing in, but uh, phoning in. And let's get to it. Yeah, excited to hear it. Hey, Zach. Um, thanks for taking my hand. Um, so, um, so this is Alex from San Francisco, and I am playing 3-5 at Lucky Chances. Um, I am on the button, um, the small blind, um, is a kind of, I'd say a little bit of a loose aggressive player, um, regular, um, the, uh, big blind is, is relatively loose, although he just sat down. We just started playing about an hour ago in general, the, the table form. Um, and then there is a straddle for 10 um, um, in the uh, under the gun position. And the straddle is a, a very loose uh, player. Um, and so uh, action folds around to me um, with 20... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, with 18 in the pot, um, and I have uh, pocket aces. So, I just have a couple comments about this preflop spot. Uh, when it folds to us, and we have three loose players in the blinds, uh, I think we should be raising a somewhat wider but somewhat more merged range. Uh, we shouldn't be extremely polarized here. I think we should mostly choose all of our hands that we think are going to play well in position and raise those and not worry so much about stealing quite as often. I think in a game like this, you know, where the listener describes all three blinds as loose and there's a straddle, we really shouldn't expect 
to like ever really raise and get three folds from the blinds here. Yeah, it's it's going to be unlikely. Um, we also don't we don't know if these are you know loose players who are going to three bet often or loose players who are going to call often. That would be an important descriptor that's worth including in future hand histories. Yeah, and obviously, like saying that these players are loose is more helpful than saying nothing. But loose is still very general, and like if the listener only has like an a one hour sample size with all the players, it's really kind of hard to say. And maybe like an example of a hand that got shown down, or some of their post flop tendencies would be helpful because right now we can basically just say they're going to play you know a much wider than optimal range pre flop, and that's that's really about it. Yeah, I think at this point, Alex, I will say, he, he gave us two different descriptors. The small blind was described as somewhat loose aggressive, and the other two players were described as loose. So I'm going to guess that small blind, if small blind calls our bet, uh, they will be very capped. And the other players might be a little stickier, but also maybe less likely to three bet uh, quite as often. That's going to be my read going forward. Yeah, and we don't know the stack sizes yet, so in terms of like the best size to open, uh, we'll just wait to hear from Alex and what he did and kind of what the stack sizes are. I decide to pump it up to, and I, and I had been playing, um, I, I just had been pretty card dead for that entire hour, so I haven't played, I probably played like two or three pots, maybe, um, and I pump it up to 25. Um, the, uh, let's see, the, um, small blind calls, and then we get fold, fold. So real quick, maybe we will get stack sizes down the road, but I do think they're really important to mention. Uh, I obviously don't mind people leaving out details that, you know, become irrelevant. Uh, and this decision... This decision with aces, you know, it's the sizing is not going to be hugely informed by stack sizes other than in extreme cases at this decision point. Uh, so I'll assume that there was no extreme like short stack in the blinds. Um, I, I do think we should be raising larger here, given the description of our opponents. I think people who are going to call here for 25 would likely call for 30 or 35. Uh, but I think twenty five. Yeah, I think twenty five is a little bit lower than what's best. Uh, yeah, I think for twenty five to be correct in this spot, maybe like two or the three of three out of the three players would have to be like loose and aggressive, where we thought that twenty five would maybe induce you know more three bets. But I think as a general rule, without like specific reads like that and evidence of you know people picking on smaller sizing and three betting aggressively, which even if you few that might happen with some of your worst hands really doesn't happen as much as it probably should. I think just raising a size that you think they'll going to call with, you know, their calling range. And players as described, as Jack said, uh, I can't imagine them having a significantly different calling range for 25 versus 35. So I, I like 35 or 40 here. Yeah. Uh, the flop comes out rainbow, queen, jack, seven. Um, uh, the small blind, uh, sorry, and also the effective stacks are, I have 400, small blind has about 700, so he has me covered. 
All right, we did get the staff sizes. So, Alex, thank you for not uh, for including that detail. And, uh, sorry, so flop comes out. Small blind checks. I bet uh, 30. Uh, realizing now, um, kind of giving range considerations, I probably should have, I'm thinking I should have bet uh, 50 or so. Um, so I bet 30 into a pot of uh, about 63, if I'm calculating correctly. Um, so half pot, uh, and, and by the way, it was a rain, rainbow uh, flop. So, um, so I definitely think for the same reason, you know, we said pre-flop that the hero should be getting a little bit larger here. I think 50 is a really good sizing. You know, I just can't imagine with a blood a button versus blind scenario that this player will fold any jack for $50. And similarly to preflop, I think the only reason to really bet less is if we had some evidence that this player, you know, would start check raising us aggressively when we bet smaller. He calls um, the second think club comes out and it's a 10 so now the board is queen jack 7 10 um, and the uh, uh, the button or sorry the uh, small blind checks again so this is this is an interesting decision because I think this is a pretty bad card for us I think jack 10 queen 10 are both very likely holdings. And hands like king-jack, king-queen just picked up a good amount of equity against us. Now those hands now become excellent value targets, so I still think betting is likely going to be best here. I think bet folding is pretty reasonable if we think we're not going to get semi-bluff too often, because I think a lot of those pair-plus draw hands are not going to semi-bluff. Um, especially since, you know, there's sort of the looming threat maybe of us holding ace-king, uh, and I think that's going to dissuade people from raising us too aggressively. So I still like betting here, but I, I think we probably will have to fold to a raise, just because I don't think there's that many semi-bluffs that aren't paired, and I don't think he's going to raise that many pair plus dry hands. Yeah, this is important, because even if it's like a, a loose aggressive player, this might be a player that, like, when he has a lot of draws in his range, he'll be check-raising those aggressively when they don't have pairs. But when you actually break down you know, what his likely range is and how it interacts with the board texture, there's just not a lot of hands that really naturally want a semi-bluff. Maybe 10-9 with a pair, but besides that, I think, uh, yeah, it's not going to make sense for him to, to semi-bluff, so we should probably plan to bet fold. In terms of sizing, after the villain calls the flop bet, we're about 120 in the pot with a little under 350 behind. So I probably like betting between like 75 and 85 here. It's really ensuring that like we get called by all of the pair plus draw combos. Yeah, a lot of times when uh, I'm in a bet fold situation, I like to size larger. Now that's not a rule. I think it's just a tendency uh, since I think the larger sizing one both gets more value out of the calling range, which might be price insensitive, and also I think dissuades us from being 
bluffed as often, uh, which is important when we're playing unfolding to a raise. So I think, yeah, betting at least 75 or 80, and maybe even a little bit more, to really squeeze as much value as possible from hands like king-queen and king-jack, I think that's going to be your best play here. Um, at this point, um, tank for a little bit, and I raise to, I uh, raise, so let's see, now there's um, about 125 in the pot. Uh, I raise 100. Um, he calls immediately. Uh, so, Alex, I, I like the bet, but I think, you know, in terms of sending in a hand to us, it would be good to hear you talk about why you made that bet and why you chose that sizing, since I think there are some reasons to make that bet that are very good and others that are not very good. And it's unlikely that we're going to be able to consider every single reason, but as long as you're considering some of the right reasons to make this bet in real time, you're going to have a much higher success rate. Zach, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just, you know, like, one one of the not good reasons would be, like, you know, I want to protect my hand and bet large to get, you know, drawing hands to fold, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's a perfect wrong reason in this situation. Uh, and just with the information we have now, just before we hear what happens on the river, I think when villain calls very quickly, I think, to me, that is generally a pair plus draw hand. Maybe occasionally you'll see jack-10 play it this way, but I th I would guess Jack-10 would probably pause and maybe consider raising. So I think that we can feel pretty happy about where our hand is at right now. And I think on most blanks, I'm going to go for three streets, which without this information, I might not necessarily have gotten for. That's interesting. All right. The river comes out a blank, like a four. Uh, doesn't matter for uh, the small blind tanks for I don't know maybe like 30 seconds and checks so I think a lot of times when villain tanks here it's it's gonna be more of a Hollywood like I want you to know that I thought about betting so you're gonna think twice before betting again you know because if villain is holding a hand like King Queen I don't think he really wants to see another bet whether that's, you know, good play or not is up for debate. I think even maybe more so with King Jack. But I think Villain is very likely communicating that he would not like to see another bet. And I don't think that he would do that if he had nothing. And I don't think he would do that if he had something very strong. And so I think we should definitely bet. Yeah, I think this kind of confirms the read of the pair plus draw hand on the turn. You know, this is just very likely a one-pair hand, and uh, when people tank on the river this way, I think it's rarely with, like, very strong hands. That happens sometimes, but I think it's more one-pair one hands that are uh, want to avoid a bet. So now the question is just, you know, how much value can we really get out of this player? So there's $325 in the pot right now, and our hero has under that left behind. 
And I think with this kind of button versus blind situation, I think it's best to kind of just put those one pair of hands to the test and, and shove for what is going to be around three quarters pot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think our only real options here are to shove or bet rather small. I think betting something like, so I, I believe we have about 250 behind, maybe a little bit more. I don't know if we started the hand with 400 or we had 400 on the flop. Uh, but we have around 250, so I think if we bet 100 again, we give the illusion of maybe being, you know, able to have a folding range, and we might induce some bluffs, and we might get some calls that we wouldn't have gotten for the shove. You know, we, we only need to get that shove called by worse about 40% as often to justify shoving over betting 100, Especially since I think it's pretty likely we're going to get raised by mostly better hands. And so I don't, th I don't think we're necessarily inducing that much extra value with the bet of 100. But if we're not going to bet fold, then I think it's best just to shove here. Yeah, I think there's some very specific opponents where betting 100 would be correct. But with the information we have and likely the information the listener has, I think that... Um, you know, the shoving is, is clearly the best play here. Yeah, I agree. Um, at this point, uh, so it's queen, jack, seven, ten, um, four, no flush draws. Um, and I, with about, about, I don't know, two and a quarter almost behind, um, I elect to check as well. Um, and showdown, he has jack 10 for the pot, um, and I'm thinking there's probably at least, I'm guessing, two different ways I could have played this, two or three, actually. Um, so that's why I am writing in so you guys can uh, dissect it and let me know. Uh, thanks, guys. Hope this makes it to your podcast, and I uh, love the show. Bye. Alex from uh, SF, signing off. Well, thank you again, Alex, for writing in. Uh, we're glad you like the show. Um, we're really, really glad that you sent us this hand. This is uh, an interesting result since I think both Zach and I sort of picked up on a physical read that is inconsistent with what this player had. And I think that it's probably important to note against this player if you're going to play with him again. I still like shoving here since I think you're getting called by worse more than you're getting called by better, especially with 225. I think Jack-10 is sometimes going to lead out this river, sometimes going to raise the turn. And I think King-Queen, King-Jack pretty much always play this way. So I still like shoving and I wouldn't let the result be what I would say in terms of letting the results influence future action is that my feeling is that in similar circumstances against other players, I would definitely still make the same play here. Against this player, I think we should keep it in the back of our mind that that sort of tank on the river is not trying to get us you know, to not bet. Yeah, I guess, you know, what I said before is that when someone takes through it like that, it's rarely genuine, but this time it was genuine. They were deciding, should I let him bluff, or should I bet, or 
you know, and then ended up deciding to check. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd be curious, Alex, you know, if you want to write in maybe what some of the different ways you were considering playing the hand would be. Uh, I think this is a really interesting hand to discuss, but what's also nice is some, when, whether it's a written hand or an audio hand, to know what you're thinking. Because ultimately, like, how you play one hand of poker doesn't really matter in the long run. It's how you're thinking about things that will inform future hands. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I think this play is definitely justifiable. Like, every street is pretty reasonable. I mean, I think pre-flop, we should be raising a little larger. I think on the flop, we should be betting a little larger. Uh, I like the turn play. And the river, I would have shoved, but I, you know, given results, I think I could be wrong, at least with the information we had if we'd known how to process it correctly. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with Zach that the more you can give us about your thought process, the more we'll be able to, you know, help you improve. That being said, we really, really, really appreciate you writing in, uh, and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future, uh, and more from everyone else. So, you know, we get a lot of hands sent in by text on our website, uh, justhandsbroker.com. We have a link to a form where you can send us your complete hand history, and we, we really love those. Uh, we're going to plan to actually, we don't have quite enough time on the podcast to do all those, but we're going to start doing some additional breakdowns of just listener hands that maybe didn't quite make the cut for the podcast, but we still think are interesting. Uh, but we really, really love these audio hands since uh, it's a podcast, and I think it's fun to hear someone else's voice. Uh, I think Zach and I just have a good time with it. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex, and keep them coming, everyone.